On behalf of BlackBerry and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around new cybersecurity for federal agencies, where Roger Sells, Vice President of Cybersecurity Solutions at BlackBerry, will discuss new ways agencies can drive outcomes and increase security posture with measurable results. Let's start exploring why I say there is a lot of chaos that's impacting our business outcomes and what does that really mean for you and your agencies. We're seeing an acceleration of attacks and on the back of COVID, where we had more and more interconnectivity between our entities, we had to think on our feet to um, be able to serve our constituents. We had to adopt our ways of not only working, but also living. And that, of course, came with an increase in the attack surface. And our adversaries have really benefited from this situation and taken advantage because they've been waiting for a unique opportunity like this to strike. And that's one of the reasons that we're seeing an acceleration in breach headlines A second reason that I'd like to come to is that we are also, I think, skewed towards reporting on these breaches. And they are newsworthy. They get picked up globally. People spend a lot of time and attention on them. I personally feel that we are at a stage where we can't learn that much from these headlines because we we are not receiving the lessons learned from most breach organizations. Even if you see that an organization has been breached, There's very little information around failures of technical controls, management controls that help you improve the situation. So this is a factor in in why we're also seeing more of these headlines is just that, well, they generate clicks and, and people talk about them. But I think for us as a security community, it's not helping too much. So I think um, the answers have come in. Meanwhile, Joe? Yep, all wrapped up. Perfect. Um, can, can you share what uh, has gotten the most votes? Ah, there we go. So most people seem to believe that um, we have very low numbers of solutions being used. So I said, okay, there's a lot of chaos. And this chaos, you can see it across a number of dimensions. There's first and foremost just chaos stemming from the fact that more and more organizations as well as nation states, are investing in offensive security capabilities. A couple of months ago, I read a report where the NSA was indicating that every country on earth now today is operating an offensive security um, arm or operation. So that's obviously going to bleed over into the commercial space, but as well in the agency space. The second element there is that And this is something that we've highlighted in our um, recently released threat report, is that we are still seeing a continuation of, let's say, ransomware as a service, uh, as an ecosystem accelerating. So we have more and more crime groups that are now diversifying into cybersecurity. Um, In many ways, they're operating a bit like classic VCs that have heard that their friends that have invested in cybersecurity have had great returns. Well, the same holds true for these cyber criminals. They are now deriving um, huge margins from these operations. And we are seeing specialization where, for instance, one group will initially gain access 
but their risk threshold is low, they don't want to monetize that access beyond the access itself. So they don't want to start looking for document or hold the organization to ransom. They just want to get in, not get detected, sell the access. A secondary group or operation then gains that access to the organization and they can buy or develop themselves if they have the capabilities, the necessary tools to evade our security controls and to monetize their operation. And that might be via ransomware, um, which is also, of course, why we're seeing an acceleration of these headlines and of these breaches. So we, we have a professionalization of this sphere. We have a lack of internet governance worldwide around what is permissible or not. And it seems that every nation now is um, having a goal, as it were. Then, of course, there are other factors that play a role in the failures of security controls. We could just talk about everything that's on this slide for the next hour, but I'll just highlight, I think, the three or four key ones. The first one is that we now have more than 6,000 different vendors that are creating their own solutions. And typically, people come up with a solution to a very specific problem. Of course, as we saw in the polling question, as well as the data, that leads to a plethora of solutions that you then have to integrate. It leads to different challenges because all of these solutions, uh, they're now moving to the cloud. They're using different clouds. They have their own management consoles. You have to train your teams on, on, on the use of these uh, consoles and clouds. So that's not uh, helping unburden the teams. And um, yeah, it's actually placing more friction on them. We then see that over 100 million pieces of malware are being released annually. That also has implications for our security controls. A lot of security controls, even in a defense in depth model, are still nowadays in some ways relying mainly on signatures. So you, you, you always have, let's say, one unlucky or unfortunate victim that gets hit first. And then eventually with some time delay, signatures and uh, solutions are created um, that you then have to start deploying. You have to track the deployment, uh, report on the deployment. So you can sort of see how with this ecosystem, we're, we're feeding into the two key challenges uh, that we had, deriving value from these solutions and then yeah, keeping our staff overly busy with actually doing this work, but instead um, adding more value to the mission or in enterprise to the um, business. And then we see that almost all attacks are actually originating at the endpoint. Um, that might surprise a few of you on this call, but when you think it's true, um, the endpoint is where the data is stored. It gets enriched. Typically in a normal situation, well, the classic thought was that we would protect our crown jewels um, and um, our controls are designed to do that. Our security monitoring is designed to achieve that. But then when it comes to the endpoint, typically organizations still think, well, it's, it's maybe too expensive, it's too laborious to do that. But attackers are moving towards these endpoints, also mobile uh, endpoints, uh, because they, um, they know that the success rate will be higher. So I think that if you look at the way we have been deploying solutions up till now, we have an overemphasis on response after the fact and on manual action. 
Now, I do think that a part of this can be explained because a lot of vendors are US-based. You have a completely different compliance regime, let's say, in the US. A lot of vendors might have hesitations, but if we automate something, we disrupt the business, there will be legal repercussions. Or if we, we say to a high degree of certainty that yeah, you haven't been uh, exposed to certain attack and that proves incorrect, then yeah, that, that might get uh, back to us in a negative way. So there is a lot of reluctance in the cyber vendors world to change it. And last but not least, it's also generating a lot of money. So why change it? I'll tell you more about this, but it's it's even something that we bumped into at at Silence. Um, so before Silence was acquired by by BlackBerry, uh, because we we leverage artificial intelligence in our solutions, but our solutions also get used by our consultants when there are breaches, so that we can respond faster and have a faster overview. And I know because uh, some of the execs told me that these discussions happened in the past, that it was a key consideration when that move was made to say, well, wait a second, um, do we really want to analyze breaches faster? Typically, organizations that reach out when they have experienced a breach aren't the, the, the most cost conscious ones because, well, the roof is on fire at that point in time. You're not going to spend two, three weeks uh, arguing back and forth about the price, first of all. And the second is, well, we are billing this per hour. So why would we want to do it faster? But the decision was taken that, okay, if we do it faster, it will still benefit the community and we will just be able to handle a higher volume of these things. But the future of our controls needs to be automated and needs to be more preventative. Uh, but I think a lot of people in the industry are not focused on achieving either of these. And regarding spend, uh, you already heard me make a, co a couple of comments there, but when we see these breaches happening, um, typically organizations are quite fast to say, well, we will double the security budget. We've hired twice as many people. I want to make the caveat that Spent is a poor proxy for effectiveness. Now, if you've been under-investing in cybersecurity and your IT landscape for the past decade, and you have so much legacy to deal with, or you have barely a skeleton crew to uh, handle your security program, then by all means, it might make sense to readjust that. But um, in general, when we see discussions and analysts are saying, well, the cybersecurity market is becoming hotter. Look at all this spend. It was X amount of billions this year. It's projected to be X plus 20 or plus 10 or whatever the number is. Next year, I'm always very skeptical of when I hear this because there are so many ways that we shoot ourselves in, in the foot. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was with one of the banks I mentioned during my intro slide, I took over from the German CISO um, after some incidents. I won't go into details there. When I started looking at the way the team was working and the way we reported on our risk, I noticed that because we had 500,000 endpoints to cover, it took the team about three to four weeks to scan the entire estate for vulnerabilities. And then it took another one to two weeks to actually generate data um, and insights, attribute risks to the different business uh, lines. In short, I 
always had a lack of data being reported back to me when it was ready of two months. So by the time I fed it into the, uh, the global CISO, he went back to the business leaders. We had a three months gap and we had a, a very big infrastructure that was built for this and was continuously growing. At some point in discussions with our engineering leads, we said, you know what? It is a best practice to have vulnerability management but nobody ever said that you have to scan the assets. So what we ended up designing as an architecture and building as a system was what we call the patching cluster. We mapped all of the estate back to a golden image that was living in what we called the patch cluster. The patch cluster consisted of about 150 hosts. And we had a mapping that said, okay, this host is installed on, let's say, 20,000 Linux servers running this version. Great. Then we downloaded all the packages for our operating system and our applications into a database. We had a separate database with all the CVE, so all the vulnerability data. And every night we pulled a file listing from these hosts and we compared it to the information in our database. Without any scanning, without any load on the network, we could precisely say through this exercise, this vulnerability affects 15,000 hosts spread over all of these business units. And we went from reporting on this in a matter of months to a matter of minutes. And over time, we were able to build and increase the effectiveness of this system where that we, we went to the business and we said, hey, can you define your test cases? If we want to patch something in production, what are the functional and non-functional key tests that you run through? Let's automate them in our patching cluster and then we can come back to you and say, hey, this is a critical vulnerability. It passed uh, the patch, passed all of the testing. Do we have the goal to move and uh, patch this in, um, in production? And we're able to effectively reduce our patching time while our find vulnerability to fix vulnerability velocity increased um, more than threefold. And the beauty of it all was that we saved millions in um, licensing costs. So I just want to share this as an insight that the spend is, as I said, a poor metric and a poor proxy of effectiveness. Now, the way most security programs operate, um, if we use the NIST CSF, which is a great framework, by the way, we see a lot of effort is being spent on identifying um, the assets that need to be protected. And then when people or organizations come to detection, this is where it becomes a three to five year plan. It becomes resource constrained and there isn't much investment left typically for the response and the recovery. In most organizations that I was a CISO with, I've always placed the emphasis on response and recovery. I'd run periodic compromise assessments, so a type of forensic engagement that you do before you have any indicators of compromise, but you just run it across ideally the entire organization as a milestone and to say, okay, I want a binary answer. Have we been breached? Yes or no. Are we currently breached? Have we already leaked data in the past? Yes or no. And then I coupled that with a tabletop exercise where the internal teams our external stakeholders and partners were brought together. We declared an, an incident, a P1 incident, and we just observed from a process point of view, how do the teams work together? What are the gaps? But this went up to the Exco and the board so that 
we could give them a, a, a pretty good understanding of our capabilities. And then these two together have helped me receive more budget first to deploy in, in building better response and recovery capabilities, but then invariably in most cases also to bolster my protection and detection capabilities, but without, let's say, the encumbrance of budget constraints being low. So I just wanted to share that with you. I think it's um, a different way of looking at the problem that can actually help. Now, I want to come to talent attraction and retention. We've seen that, okay, maybe we are operating our security programs in a manner that is suboptimal. We are generating huge quantities of data. Our tools are generating huge quantities of data. There's overlap between the tools because maybe solution one that you selected offers three capabilities, but you've only selected it for the first one. I think of an antivirus that has a built-in DLP. Maybe you already had a different DLP solution, but you're in, a, in effect paying for a capability as well as not using it. Now, so we have all of these solutions. They are difficult to integrate. When one of them needs to be updated, you have a lot of testing to do to see, well, my solution number one is connected to number seven and number 14. Does it actually still work after I upgrade number seven or number one? Or do I have to hold them back until their patching cycles are aligned, which could create a vulnerability through one of your security tools for weeks, if not months. But where it, I think, feeds into talent retention and why it matters to you is that if you find efficacy benefits in the operation of your security controls, you are able to create an environment where your security staff will feel and be more effective. And especially in a public uh, entity where you are attracting people that have more of a desire to contribute to your mission, but where budgets might be lower than in the private sector, you know, invariably, at some point in time, a large organization, typically a technical tech company, a bank, consulting firm, is going to show up with a bigger challenge, with more money, and lure these people away. I think by creating an environment where you work on effectiveness, you ensure that the teams are not burdened with mundane tasks, you can somewhat avoid that lure of the next role or the next opportunity by, by having this as a unique yeah, value proposition, if you will. So that's, that's definitely um, a point I, I want you to be attentive to um, and, and review internally. Now, in terms of innovation and, and chaos that we see in the landscape, our adversaries are much better at using and operationalizing innovation. When you think about why that is, it's plainly because for them, it's a matter of survival, success, or failure. The whole point for the adversary is to be able to breach a company, to exfiltrate data, to gain insights, well, and financial motives uh, are there as well, of course, uh, with ransomware and other attacks. So they have a culture of rigorously testing both innovation in uh, defensive controls and as well as researching new techniques to bypass them. Whereas if you look at it from a defensive point of view, there's a lot of skepticism, and that's on the one hand. On the other hand, we have 
a lot of security vendors that see that the message is working for one party and then everybody jumps on that bandwagon, starts copying the message, starts saying, yeah, we do that too, to some degree. And you end up with a landscape where maybe a lot of these vendors are over-promising and under-delivering. And then, of course, this feeds into the skepticism that our teams have because now they have more data points of these claims not actually holding up. So I think this is holding us back. And I, I see this often when I talk to CISOs, to their teams, when we're discussing new approaches, new technologies, where they will be reluctant to move in that direction. And they'll often say, well, let's keep what we have, but let's add this new thing on top of it which again amplifies the problem that we've been discussing because now instead of retiring a number of controls, um, you've just added to them. You also need to expand your team because you have more to cover um, and these two snowballs keep amplifying each other and growing as they, they roll downhill. So then another element I think is that we all are busy building essentially the same things. You can take any problem in cybersecurity and the solution to that is most of us will find a technology vendor that has some kind of offering in this space. We will go to the market, find people that have done this in the past and that can now come and do it in our organizations. And that's how we build new capabilities or mature these capabilities. What I find remarkable is that we then go to conferences and we compare notes saying, I have guests, I need to take them from, from point A to point B. I need to build a car. I have a framework um, on how to build a car, which are the, the key components. I have a, a, a number of suppliers that um, have shipped me parts. This is the car that we've built. We've noticed that on the first three cars, yeah, the brakes didn't work. Uh, the fourth one, uh, we tried to go electric, the battery exploded, and so on and so forth. So I, I, I find that remarkable, and I think in the next five to 10 years, we're probably going to be moving away from this and demanding that our vendors come with solutions that are easier to implement, but to also deliver value right out of, out of the box. And that's hopefully something that um, we can help you with. So recapping some of these major challenges that are feeding into the attacks um, expanding and um, our organizations and agencies uh, being vulnerable is that, as I said, we have too many alerts from too many security solutions. We have limited staff that have knowledge about these tools and security risks, but we also have constraints that cause them to be demotivated. Um, we have constraints that lead to high turnover. Another aspect that also actually should demotivate you in part from building everything yourself is that we typically as individual organizations end up lacking real world expertise with attacks. I'll highlight that um, even in our threat research team uh, that focuses on real world incidents, it took them, I think, over two years to identify a certain threat actor to map all of their campaigns to them. What was particularly interesting there um, is that seven or eight other security companies had all seen fragments of campaigns. Everybody was referring to this threat actor with a different name, 
but nobody had actually been successful into piecing everything together and, and giving a global overview of everything this threat actor had been up to until, like I said, our team spent two years on it and, and released a report and said, hey, uh, we actually looked at it. We found some really good indicators that this is the same threat actor that's been doing these campaigns. And it was a hack for hire operation. So private company in Asia, uh, I can't disclose which country, that was hacking other nations, other companies on behalf of clients, identities unknown. But even with all of our expertise and all of the expertise in the industry, I think for years, most of the industry missed it. So then building this capability internally at your site is also going to be dealing with these type of, of issues where you might miss the big picture. You might not see enough qualitative events. And in the end, you end up with a false sense of security because you think you can respond, well, detect and respond um, to certain uh, attacks, but the, the, the data from, um, let's say, high quality APTs might be missing. So let me um, switch gears here and walk you through um, the transformation that we've had as a company. A lot of people still ask me today about our phones, but that's a market that we've exited uh, about seven, eight years ago. We no longer manufacture devices. As a business, BlackBerry today is focused on two key markets, cybersecurity and IoT. And we have two business units, well, called Cyber and uh, the, the other one, IoT, to um, uh, clarify that. I sit in the uh, cyber business unit. Our focus there is to hyper-automate leveraging machine learning and AI and to really secure your operations wherever you are running them from and however you're running them, uh, whether you're using your own devices, whether you have to use public devices, whether you are using mobiles, desktops, VDIs, all of that is, is covered with the same seamless intelligent security. Of course, we see a convergence with the IoT happening over the next few years. And in the IoT space, we have a secure hypervisor that's running on 200 million cars. Nowadays, we're tackling some meaty challenges um, in securing smart cities of the future. And this is where our AI and ML uh, capabilities will also help in, in the future. Now, the cyber arm, cyber business unit, think of us as specialists in preparing for incidents, preventing incidents, and then detecting and responding to them. And this came about not only because of our legacy as, as BlackBerry, where initially we have been creating devices, now having mobile email at the time also created challenges for which we then created the MDM to resolve uh, these challenges. But we acquired Silence, leader in AI-driven endpoint protection back in 2019, integrated it into our business in 2020, and uh, since then have been expanding our portfolio of solutions. But uh, Silence as a team, I think, was really well known for instant response capabilities. In fact, in, I think, 2015, we helped the Office of Personnel Management when they had suffered their breach, and there are uh, public reports about the findings and even the role of silence in helping that, that agency. The way our philosophy is set is that we want to reduce the friction 
between security and, and productivity. We want to ensure that your teams have the capabilities they need, but they can work on more interesting challenges than spending half your time on deriving value from the tools you bought, trying to integrate them, trying to see uh, what, is, what it is. And it's an often held belief that as the security level increases, your productivity level decreases. And, and I guess the art then consists of finding a happy balance that the security team is happy with, uh, that the risks are adequately managed, and that the agency leadership knows that, okay, we can still serve our constituents, we can still achieve our mission, we, we are agile enough. But we feel that these two objectives of increasing security, of being more agile, of being more productive, actually go hand in hand. And the way we help clients achieve this is by having a modular platform that is built on top of the uh, silence AI capabilities and has an ecosystem of services to complement them. And walking you through this platform, you will recognize the endpoint management. This is what we internally call our legacy BlackBerry platform. So it's our mobile device management platform, our secure collaboration platform, where we have a DRM solution. So that it, think of it as a, as a DLP that works both internally and externally, applies encryption to the files, you can share them, the other party, when they open the file, will eventually contact the, the key server, receive a, a copy of the key. This is transparent to the user, of course, and can open the file. But you can revoke access to the decryption key even after having shared the file. So if you have interagency collaboration that has to happen for a brief period of time, or you have to work with external parties, you can share some sensitive information, revoke the access. So then. We've, at the other side, we have a critical event planning platform that is being used not only in cyber incidents, but also in periods of crisis. Uh, think of floods, terrorist attacks and whatnot to communicate with your staff members to ensure that they are safe and accounted for. Uh, so this is now something that we've integrated in this platform, mainly for the cyber uh, capabilities. So that if organizations or agencies become aware they have been hit by a ransomware attack, or um, at least they have been breached, they can move their communications of their main email systems, communicate through this platform, collaborate through this platform, and um, have a more uh, structured response capability. And then the section in between these two are capabilities we acquired and well, some acquired from Silence, some, let's say, developed together with the uh, Silence and, and BlackBerry teams jointly. So walking you through them, we have the desktop protection and mobile protection. This is the next generation endpoint protection using Silence AI. Um, doesn't use signatures at all, only uses um, the uh, artificial intelligence capabilities. We have a behavior and risk analytics module. I'll tell you more about that in a second. We have a threat detection and hunting platform, an EDR, uh, like, um, like others do. But ours goes hand in hand with our desktop protection. I'll also um, share more about that in the next few slides. And then we have a network access gateway that can help us set conditions for access to your clouds. So if your staff are, are working remotely, we position this between them and the cloud 
we can ensure that their devices are patched, that your security policies are being adhered to, and then they gain access to the cloud. What's important here is that all of these are unified into one uh, console and all are integrated. So you know that if you are getting an upgrade of, uh, to the next version of one of them, it is tested, it is integrated, and it's behaving well if you have the other modules. So this is to address a number of the challenges that we've, um, we've walked through uh, today already. And um, in terms of security services, we have compromise assessments or we offer the compromise assessments. I mentioned incident response and forensic services, also penetration testing, as well as a managed detection and response service. All of these components work together in our zero trust architecture and philosophy, where we are ultimately trying to receive data from a number of domains, the state of the applications, the network you're connected to, even the session, is the person typing at the keyboard still Roger, uh, yes or no, and the state of the device. Continuously, we evaluate a number of questions around these, or our AI does. We generate a trust score, and you start off with a trust score of 100, and as the trust score diminishes, so your risk increases, we can dynamically kick off policies. Let's say that I'm sat in my trusted home office, I'm using my mobile, I want to review an attachment on my uh, PC. Well, because my trust score is high and I've just authenticated to my phone on my laptop, um, I'm not going to be prompted by two-factor authentication again. If I run the same scenario, but I'm set in Starbucks down the road, um, well, Nothing is preventing anyone from taking my laptop out of my bag while I'm using my phone. And in this case, our trust score will be lower based on the location. So we will reprompt for two-factor authentication. And therefore, that attack does not succeed. Or maybe everything I've just described is, is working as intended. I am using my laptop, but because of being in this unsecured location, yeah, I'm not going to get access to the clouds that contain proprietary information or that contain applications that allow me to make, for instance, financial payments or to view applications from HR and so forth. Um, so that is, I think, a major step change because typically with your security solutions, your teams have to model the use case. You have to understand what your various service lines are doing. And there will be a delay between understanding that, modeling it, offering the capability to them. But then whenever there is a new change, you have to go through that process again. We think we can make it more agile, alleviate a number of these concerns. In turn, your administrators will then, uh, and your team members will then be able to focus on, on the mission a lot more. And uh, yeah, the ag agility that's gained um, will result in higher productivity, regardless of how you, you measure that. So then I've mentioned the AI capability a number of times. Because Silence was formed in 2012, released a first product in 2014, and has been credited by industry analysts as the very first cybersecurity company to use machine learning and AI for cybersecurity problems, we have such an advance in, in this realm. And you can see this in number of patent families that we own compared to a number of our uh, closest competitors. We are really able to still emphasize our preventative capabilities and, and focus on that.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information on how Kerasoft or BlackBerry can assist, please visit www.kerasoft.com or email us at blackberry at kerasoft.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.